Well, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 for our study tonight. If you're new to Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, looking at it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5 tonight, looking at the biblical truth of being a person of honor, being people of honor. So let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, and we thank you for the challenge that it brings in our lives and the way that we relate to one another, the relationships that we have inside of the body of Christ and in our own families. Lord, would you help us to set aside our prejudice, set aside our already preconditioned ideas, and really be open to what you would say to us through your word? So God, we ask that you'd bless this time and you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As a society, we've really lost what it means to be a person of honor, to be a people of honor, whether it's from the road and how we relate to each other uh, on the road, how kids uh, relate to teachers and principals uh, in the classroom, to how coworkers uh, relate to each other, neighbors, how we relate to each other in, in the store. Today's news, uh, this was in Henry County. A woman was arrested after she allegedly pulled a gun on another driver who happened to be an off-duty police officer. (laughs) Mistake, right? So this lady got all angry and got all upset and whipped out her pistol and she did it to an off-duty police officer. The article goes on to say she called some of her friends who were on duty, police officer, and this woman was arrested. But road rage is a serious issue, isn't it? You know, and why is it that we treat each other that way is because we've lost sight of honor. So what does it mean to honor somebody? It's to hold them in high regard, to hold them with value. And that value comes from understanding that they're created by God, that they're created in God's image. Paul wrote to Timothy, this is an epistle, a letter to Timothy, and in chapter 3, verse 16, he writes and says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. So, so we, as God's people, the church of the living God, that we're the foundation, we're the ground and the pillar of truth, and the truth that we believe is seen in how we treat one another. So chapter 5 walks us through different relationships, relationships that we have inside of the body of Christ, relationship that we have inside of our home, relationship that we have with our spiritual leaders, elders, and, and to be a person that chooses to walk in honor. So I think there's enough challenge for all of us in this section of scripture. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Remember, the recipient of this letter is Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. He's timid. He's trying to find his way as a leader. And Paul here is trying to help him in navigating relationships inside of God's house, inside of God's family. And he says, Timothy, I don't want you to be in a place where you're rebuking an older man. Even as a pastor, the tone in which he approached older men was to be one of respect. It was to be one of honor and not begin to rebuke an older man, maybe the way that you would exhort a child. So the way that Timothy was to approach these older men was to approach them as fathers. 
how do we treat our fathers? Well, we realize that they have walked on this earth longer than us. And if you're blessed to have a healthy relationship with your father, it produces a lot of respect. You know, I think uh, especially for men, but men and women as well, our fathers have gained wisdom in our perspective the older that we get, you know? It's like the wisdom I thought my dad had at 16 has multiplied by so many degrees, right? Because as I get older and I walk through life, I, I realize how challenging it is and how he really has walked faithfully through, through this life. And so we apply it not just to our earthly fathers, but we view every person in the fellowship, every older man in the fellowship of saying, I'm not going to rebuke you, but if I do have to exhort you, Timothy would have to exhort some older men as a pastor, coming with great humility and talking to them the same way that he would his, his earthly father. So, so this applies to all of us in the fellowship. There's somebody older than you in the fellowship, in the body of Christ. And if they are older than you, give, give them respect and, and honor them. I can't say how much we've lost that in our culture how much that we have lost sight of the value of, of honoring those who have spent more time walking on this planet. And then younger men as brothers. Younger men as, as brothers. So he's using the physical family to teach us how to relate to the spiritual family. And Timothy knows what it is to relate to younger brothers in his own family. And so as he sees younger men in the fellowship, men that would be younger than him, he's to treat them like a, a younger brother. I have an older brother and a younger sister. My older brother's 22 months older than me, and he is a fabulous older brother. And he had this policy growing up that he was the only one who was allowed to beat me up. Right? <laughs> So if, if Eric was going to get a beating, it wasn't going to come from, from someone else. And if some other kid was starting to beat me up in the hallway or beat me up at the pickup football game, my brother was quick to, to come in and put an end to that and put a stop to that right away. And he's always gone through life looking out for me and protecting me and being there for me. In times of tremendous loss, he's the first one to call on the phone or hop on a plane to be there. And so this is how we're to view those that are younger than us in the family of God, is to protect them, to watch over them, to be there for them, that camaraderie that, that comes. There's a lot to be said in this bond of brothers. And so older men treat as fathers. Younger men treat as brothers. The key understanding here is that we're family in Christ. We're family inside of Christ, the bond that has taken place. We think of Jesus when he's dying upon the cross, he sees John the disciple and Mary his mom. And he looks at John and he says, behold your mother. Why? Because the family bond was found at the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, he's caring for his mom at his death. And some of the greatest relationships that we have in this life are found in the blood of Jesus. They're found at the foot of the cross. Amen? So now it goes on for Timothy. How is he to relate to women in the fellowship? Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. A deep respect for motherhood. I see it in my mom. I see it in my wife. There's not a harder job on the planet than motherhood. You moms work so hard and so faithfully for your children. And so, yeah, we get a, that's all right, you can clap, yeah. And so, as Timothy looks at 
the women in the fellowship that are older than, he should treat them the same way that he would treat his mom, with complete respect. Again, this is saying, I'm valuing what you've done. I value the investment that you've placed in. I've valued the time that you have walked with the Lord and walked on, on this earth. And then younger women as sisters with all purity. Like I said, I've got a, a younger sister. She's nine years younger than me. And I'm pretty convinced that if anyone ever hurts her, I'm taking them on a mission trip to Mexico <laughs> where they're never coming back, right? I, I have a strong sense of protectiveness over my younger sister, you know? And so this defines then relationships, men, that we're to have with women inside of, of the church. And in both of these relationships with moms and sisters, there's purity. There's purity. There's sexual integrity. You, you know, you can't imagine anybody doing anything wrong in the sexual arena to your mom or to your sister. So then that puts us in a place of saying, I don't want to ever do anything inappropriately to a woman inside of the body of Christ because if they're older than me, I should be treating them as I would treat my mom with absolute integrity, respect, and purity. And if they're younger than me, then I should be treating them as a sister in Christ, the same way that I would treat my physical sister. Now, we have had this ongoing conversation in church family in this area of sexual integrity and sexual sin. I was reading in the Old Testament this week that one of the things that God gave to the priests is he says, I want you to wear a blue tassel as a reminder to not go have a relationship with a harlot. So even back in the Old Testament with the priests, as they're going through the wilderness, sexual sin was a temptation. Every time they were to see this blue tassel, it was a reminder, don't go commit sexual sin. Church, just because we did one sermon series and some book studies on sexual sin doesn't mean that sexual temptation goes away. And once again, I want to speak about this a little bit more honestly tonight to the men in our fellowship. If you engage in sexual sin, you're violating this verse. You're not treating a woman as a mother or a sister the way that God would intend. If you're looking at pornography, you're not seeing that woman in light of the respect and the honor in which God has created her. So not only are you dishonoring God, you're dishonoring your spouse— if you're married, but you're also dishonoring that woman because you're, you're not placing the honor and the value upon her. This verse, men, if you will memorize it, put it into your heart, and if we live it out, it will revolutionize us in the area of sexual integrity. When there's temptation in thought, tem temptation in action, temptation in pornography, temptation in conversation, quote this verse, older women as mothers, Younger women as sisters with all purity. It takes them out of being a sexual object, which God never intended, and puts them into the proper context of being a sister in Christ, being a mother in Christ. We know that Paul viewed women this way from his writings in Romans 16, verse 13. He greets a guy by the name of Rufus, which I'm a huge fan of the name Rufus. He says, greet Rufus, her mother, who's also my mother. Now, Rufus's mom wasn't his mom. We know that. But it was his adopted mom. And he had deep respect for her, and they had that appropriate relationship. 
And he says, I want you to greet her because she's a second mom to me. So, so this goes a long ways. We get a lot of mileage out of understanding, honoring one another. And that's really our first point tonight in being people of honor, is we want to honor one another inside of the body of Christ. I hope you're experiencing these kind of relationships inside of the body of Christ. I hope that you have older men in your life that you can treat as a father. I hope you have younger men in your life that you can treat, treat as brothers. I hope that you've got older women in your life that you can treat as mothers, and then also younger women that you can treat as sisters. For you ladies, you can take these verses and flip them, and they're absolutely appropriate to you. Timothy's receiving this, so they're written in that way, but, but you can turn it right around and say, you know, older men I'm going to treat as fathers, younger men I'm going to treat as brothers with all purity. You might be saying, how do I have these kind of relationships? That's why we've created the coffee bar out here. Spend time after service, before service. You're going to get to know other believers. Get involved in men's ministry, women's ministry. Begin to serve inside of the church. Be part of a small group. Go on your own and go organic and begin to invite believers over to your house. You all tend to sit in the general same location. Be that one that reaches out and says, you know, I've been seeing you sitting there for six months. I've never learned your name. Why don't we get together for fellowship? Why don't we watch one of these silly football games together and have a great time getting to know each other in Christ? And as we invest, as we're friendly with others, as we reach out to others, then we're going to enjoy these kind of relationships with each other. The second that we're to honor in being a people of honor is honor the widow, verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. Now that seems kind of confusing. You're either a widow or not a widow, right? Like, you know if you're a widow or you're not a widow. But as we'll read throughout this chapter, what Paul's addressing is that the church was to take on the physical care of widows that didn't have anyone inside of their family to care for them. So that, that's who he's describing here when he's saying, Timothy, honor widows who are really widows. He's saying, if they don't have any family to take care of them, then the church should fully take care of them and rally around them. In Exodus 22, God wrote a command saying, don't take advantage of the orphan and the widow. Why is that? Because the orphan and the widow are usually the most vulnerable and the most easy to take advantage of. This has really been exposed to me when I went to Uganda. Because those that are down and out in that society get taken advantage of to the largest degree. The orphan, the widow, those that can't stand up for themselves. And in some ways it's true in, in our culture as well. So amongst God's people, part of honoring the Lord is the way that we treat widows. Jesus cared for the widow. We saw him raise the widow's son in the Gospels. We also see Jesus honoring the widow with her two mites, her small offering that she put in the temple. Jesus saw that offering and he honored it. James chapter 1 tells us pure and undefiled religion before God is to visit the widow and the orphan in their suffering. So, so really what we believe is expressed in how we treat the orphan and how we treat the widow. The question is, when does the care of the widow fall upon the church? And the next few verses will answer that. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety. Piety is fidelity to natural obligations. 
show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So there apparently were some widows in the church that weren't being taken care of by their own families. Their own families were neglecting them. And what Paul is telling Timothy, before this responsibility goes to the church, it goes to the family. You're to take on this natural obligation to care for your widowed mom or your widowed uh, mother-in-law. And it says, first learn to show piety at home and repay their parents. So we come to understand how much our parents have done for us throughout our lives. When does that usually kick in? When you start to have your own kids. And you have your own kids and you're like, man, I had no idea all that mom did. I had no idea all that dad did. I had no idea what I put them through, right? So as they get older, and especially if they're widowed or a widower, that's our opportunity to repay them and say, okay, you took care of me when I was young, so now I'm going to take care of you when you're old. And again, I think this really affects our worldview. What's the, the worldview that has now taken place as law in Colorado? that assisted suicide is legal. If you have two doctors, just two doctors that say you're terminally ill, they can write you a prescription, you can go fill it, and then decide to to end your life. And unbelievers' natural view of the elderly will be to neglect them, to not take care of them, to not value them, and to just knock them off. You know, that that is eventually, we don't have any room for a child that is unwanted, And we don't have room for the elderly that is unwanted. It's the ultimate expression of selfishness on both ends of the spectrum. So this is where it comes to be a person of honor. This has to do with us and our relationship with the Lord. And we go, society might not value someone who is elderly, but that's my mom. That's my my dad. And they're created in God's image and in honoring God then I'm going to make sure that their needs are, are cared for. In Paul and Timothy's context, as we, as we read this, there weren't things like Social Security, there wasn't retirement, there wasn't medical plans, there wasn't nursing homes and those types of things. All of it would come upon the family. And even with some of those resources being available, I believe that it's God's heart that we would be there to care for our parents in their elderly years. It really shows the example of Christ. And also, we're gaining something. I think this is where the legacy is passed. This is where lessons are passed. This is where we're learning about the value of life, and our kids are learning about the the value of life. If you're not married, marry carefully because you are going to care for your mother-in-law. So you, you might want to get to know your mother-in-law a little bit better before you say yes uh, if, you're, if you're single. Because I think that this is what God's word is, is calling us to, is to honor the widow and specifically to honor our own household, number three, to repay the parents. And then it says, because it's good and acceptable before God. God is pleased as you're caring for your parents. Maybe their, their needs are all met. Our physical needs are not all met. Call them on the phone. How are you doing? I wanted to see how, how, how you're doing. I'm checking in on you. Give them that companionship. Give them the, the prayer and the support because you're honoring the Lord in the way you're honoring your parents. Now, she who is really a widow, so this is someone that the church would take on the responsibility of caring for and left alone, 
trusts in God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. So the first requirement is she doesn't have any family to be able to take care of her. The second requirement is she's a woman who loves the Lord. She's a woman of character. She trusts God and continues in supplication and prayer day and night. We have an amazing example of a a widow in Luke chapter 2, Anna. She recognizes Christ as an infant, recognizes that he's the Messiah. And this is what it said of Anna in Luke 2 verse 37. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Anna must have been ancient, you know? Because she's been a widow for 84 years. That's a long time. It's a very, very long time. And what did she do? She came to the temple and she ministered to the Lord with fasting and prayers night and day. She was an example of a woman who had a prayer life that was night and day. And those were the ones that Timothy was looking for to take take a hold of to provide for all of their needs. In verse 6, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. The idea of pleasure is self-indulgent. So Timothy's to watch their character. I hope that you understand what Timothy's needing to be deciding on. Just like he was to decide on elders, now he's deciding, okay, what widows should the church fully, fully support, making sure they don't have family, but also making sure they love the Lord, that they're not self-indulgent. And these things command that they may be blameless, commanding this care for our families. Now, are you guys ready for one of the strongest statements in the Bible? I mean, there's some lion verses in the Bible, and this is a lion verse. I have a close friend that describes these as stick verses because it just feels like God whacks us with them, all right? So this is a stick verse or a lion verse. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for those who are of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is one of the strongest statements in the Bible. God's saying, if you don't do this, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So God ties together our faith and our care for our household. They're intertwined. If I say, I love God, I believe in God, but yet I don't take care of the needs of my own household, somehow I've gotten something wrong in my faith. Because faith in Jesus Christ is going to turn my heart towards my household to make sure that their needs are taken care of. There must have been some inside of the church of Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring where they were really resistant towards caring for their own widow inside of their family, their own mom, their own mother-in-law. And Timothy's going to have to exhort them. And Paul's saying, look, you can tell them if they don't care for the widow inside of their own house, then they're worse than an unbeliever and they had denied the faith. So again, speaking to men, Christian men, our call, one of our calls from God for our families is to be a provider, is to provide. That responsibility falls upon us. If you're an able-bodied man, you know, thank the Lord first that you're able to, to go to work. If you're in that place where you're disabled and you're not able to work, God, God understands that. But if you're an able-bodied man, then God is calling you and requiring you to work. And in working then the Lord blesses that to be able to provide 
for your wife, for your kids, for your mom, for your mother-in-law, for the widow inside of your family, that falls uh, upon us. We need to be preparing for that. We need to be working towards that. Young single men, if you're desiring to be married, I hope that you're desiring to be a provider as well. If you're sitting home playing video games, looking to marry a sugar mama who's gone to college and has a great job and she's going to come along and provide for you, may this be a wake-up call to you. You need a job. You need a J-O-B. Just go out there and begin to start working and be a provider because you want to you wanna win the heart of a gal who's looking for a provider. Single gals, if you're looking to get married, one of the things that you should be examining is does he have a heart to be a provider? I'm not talking about lots of money and certain amount of money, but is he a hard worker? Is he faithful to work? Is he faithful to, to provide for you? Because to the Lord, it's important. It's, it's important in there. Ladies, as you think of your, your household, to think, you know, what are we doing to take care of the finances, to be faithful in those things so that we can provide for our kids, so that we can provide for our parents if we ever need to. And that's what the Lord uh, places upon us. And isn't God faithful? Isn't he faithful? He's asking us to work hard, and then he blesses that. And he, he's so good, and he's so faithful in the midst of that. And work can be worship, can it? We can go to work, and instead of being upset or begrudging this or saying, I, I can't believe that I've got to go to work, you know, I didn't need to come to church to hear that I need to care for my mother-in-law. This is so old-fashioned, you know. I don't, I don't need to be concerned for my mom and her elderly years to say, say, no. God has enabled me to work. He's blessed me with a job. I'm going to go work hard, and God's going to bless that, that then I can be a blessing to my family and a blessing to to others as well. In verse 9, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. So if a woman was a widow and she wasn't yet 60, she wasn't to be taken into this group that the church was going to provide for. And not unless she has been the wife of one man. So, so her integrity, again, is seen that she was a one-woman, a one-man woman. There we go. I said that correctly. Could have gotten real bad if I said it incorrectly. <laughs> Verse 10. Well reported for good works if she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she's washed the saint's feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. It would be a shame to the church to have these kind of godly women go uncared for. These are amazing women who've served the Lord, who've served their families. They don't have any family to take care of them. And now the church pulls together and says, we're going to care for, 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 for these women. They don't have family. They love the Lord. It's seen in their character. They're 60 and over. The church of Ephesus is going to fully take care of them. Who to say no to in verse 11, but refuse the younger widows. For when they've begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they've cast off their first faith. And, And here Paul's saying, you know, if you've got a younger widow, don't bring them into this fold where they're committing to not get remarried, go ahead and encourage them to get remarried. So they come into this fold of widows that's provided for, then they have a desire to be remarried, and all of a sudden they're feeling 
conflicted or condemned that they cast off their first faith. Verse 13, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. So too much time on their hands. We know the saying that says that idle time is the devil's workshop. So this is something that we can learn in the midst of this Bible study, is we are stewards of our time, and it's good to have rest. And Sabbath is important, and sleep is given by God. But if you're sitting through your days, and you're like, I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm idle here. I've looked at Facebook now for hours. I'm twiddling my thumbs. I've gone through the channels. I've searched Netflix and streamed Netflix endlessly. I'm just idle. Get busy. Get busy. Come down to the church. We will find things for you to do. All right? Go find somebody in need. Because if we're at that place where we've got too much time upon our hands, we know it's going to end to destruction. And in this case, it's getting into business that's none of our business. Being a gossip, being a busybody. In verse 14, Therefore I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So the next thing that we honor is we honor marriage. We honor one another. We honor widows. We honor our household and taking care of our own house. But then we honor marriage. In this society, there would probably be many young widows. It's similar to a a Ugandan type of context where people are dying. And and so it's leaving lots of of widows. You have these young ladies that that are widows. And Paul's saying, yeah, it would be my heart, that they would get remarried, that they would have children, that they would manage the household. And then in doing so, they're not in this place of having idle time, which then the enemy's able to take advantage of. And I think this speaks to the beauty of marriage. It speaks to the beauty of being a wife, of being a Proverbs 31 woman, to the beauty of, of having children. So we see this picture in scripture where where husbands are leading their homes, but here we see that wives are managing the homes under the leadership of their husband. You ladies are incredibly gifted by God to be able to to manage manage the home. You know, for for us, for myself and my four kids, if, if Amber were to ever pass away, we would be in a world of hurt, right? You know, Amber can accomplish more in an instant than I can in an hour in the kitchen. You know, I'm just lost. And, and I get in the kitchen, and I clean, and I cook, and, but it's just not near as good as what she's able to, to pull off. What, what she's able to do in putting together the grocery list, it's, it's a huge blessing to, to us as a family. I, I go to the grocery store, man, and that is hard. That is very, very hard, right? And I'm not trying to be chauvinistic or or saying, you know, this is the way it has to work in your home. But I think there's something here where God is saying that there's honor to marriage and there's honor to a woman managing the house. And and husbands, if you have a wife that, that loves to get involved in the home and manage the home, I want you to go home tonight and say, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do in, inside side of the homes. And so these younger widows are encouraged in, in these things. So I'm going to pause here and say something that's totally not cultural, okay? And I might, I might take some heat for it, so let me go ahead and give you my email so you can send it to me. It's just my first name, Eric, E-R-I-C, 
And my last name, Cartier, C-A-R-T-I-E-R. So there's two C's there at rmcalvary.org. But I want to speak to younger ladies, like say late high school, college, is I think it's a godly thing to prepare yourself to be a godly wife and a godly mom. And you're not going to hear that a lot of other places. Because I did pick on the young men earlier. So I want to be an equal opportunity offender. I, I told the young men to go get a job and prepare to be a provider. So I want to tell you young ladies, prepare to be a wife and a mom. Prepare to run a house. Prepare to manage a house. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, if you have a godly example from your mom, watch your mom. If you don't have a godly example from, from your mom, look around the fellowship and look for a godly woman and say, hey, you know what? Could I come hang out with you a little bit? And I'll, I'll just come see what you do. And I bet there's ladies in the fellowship who go, I would love that. That would be awesome. And they'll probably put you to work while you're at it, right? Because it's such a godly thing and it's such an honoring thing. And I think what culture is telling young women is that they're undermining the beauty of being a wife. They're undermining the beauty of, of managing a home. But we see Paul encouraging it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I want to speak to it as well and encourage it as well. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So he's speaking of those that are in that place where they have too much time upon their hands, giving opportunity to the adversary, and then they've turned aside after Satan. Satan has had his way, and that's sobering. In verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Pretty clear. So if you're a believer and you have widows in your family, take care of them so that that burden doesn't come upon the church. So the church is freed up to care for widows that don't have any family. I have another rabbit in my mind, but I'm not going to chase that one. I'm going to let that one go. Verse 17. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> I've already given out my email address. So I think the family and the church is better equipped in caring for these things than the government. So let me explain that. So if we would do what God calls us to do as families, then that wouldn't be the responsibility of the government. So, so, so say, for instance, in my situation with my parents and in-laws, if I say, yeah, I want to follow God's word, I'm going to be there for them, then that falls upon the family. It doesn't fall upon the government. And then if the church says, we're going to care for widows that don't have any family, that doesn't fall upon the government. If the church says, we're going to care for orphans that doesn't have any family, then that doesn't fall upon the government. And, and I personally believe, as I see the scripture in society, the family's better equipped to do that than the government is. And the church is better equipped to do that than the government is. So I got the rabbit out of my head. There it is. So verse 17, another group to honor. It's honor elders. It's honor spiritual leaders. It says, let elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. So there is a clause here. 
let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And so if you have a, a pastor, a spiritual leader who's not ruling well, who is in sin, who's authoritative, that is an abuse to God's people instead of a blessing to God's people, then don't honor them. Don't put them in that position of honor. But if you do have an elder, a spiritual leader who rules well, then honor them, especially those who are laboring in word and doctrine, who, who are pastoring in that way and pastoring in the, the feeding of God's flock. In verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox, which is treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wage. And so the idea here is, is if you've got an ox He's providing a service to you. He's, he's working out in the field, which then is providing a grain. And in the same way, a spiritual leader should be working hard in the field, so allow a pastor or elder to be taken care of. And I think I can speak for our pastoral staff here as we feel very blessed to pastor here. We feel very respected here and are very thankful to be a part of, uh, of this church family. I think you guys do this very, very well. And so we're, we're thankful for you guys. And in verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. Now, why this? Why, why not to receive an accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses? This protects the pastor, the elder, from one person that may want to sabotage them. Uh, one person that would want to, to bring them down. And we know from the law in the Old Testament, for something to stand, there needs to be two or three uh, witnesses. But this is also then found in verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. And so you don't bring an accusation against an elder unless there's two or three witnesses. But at the same time, if an elder or a pastor is caught in sin, that elder or pastor is to be rebuked in front of the whole church because they have been given that position of leadership that the rest may fear. And this is really important, and it may not seem very important to you as you, you go through this, but if there is a church structure where the pastors are not held accountable, then the message is sent to the church, nobody's held accountable. So if the elders can, can be in blatant sin and be in sexual sin and be in rebellion against God, and they're not rebuked for it, they're not held accountable for it, then, then the message is, well, sin's not really that important. And, and so when a pastor does sin and a pastor does fall, it's important for the health of that church for that pastor to be held accountable. Now, I want you to tuck this in your, in your mind because at some point in your walk with the Lord, at this church or another church, you will be a part of a, a heartbreaking family meeting, most likely, where you're going to hear that a pastor has fallen into blatant sin and rebellion against God, and out of love for that pastor and love for the body, the pastor is being asked to step back from ministry for a while, to focus on his relationship with the Lord, to focus on his family, and there'll be some in the church that will say, that's judgmental. There'll be some in the church that says, well, you know, we all make mistakes, the pastor made mistakes, why would he need to step away for pastoring for a period of time, and you need to remember this verse. You need to go back to this verse and go, there's a higher responsibility that's given, there's an extra level of respect that's given, but there's also a higher level of accountability, and that church is endeavoring to be faithful to God's word. 
And they're saying, okay, it's not that we're condemning him. It's not that we don't want the best for him. It's not that God doesn't forgive him. doesn't mean that maybe down the road he can't come back in, into ministry. But at, at this point in time, he was in rebellion in the Lord. And a lot of times it's usually covering tracks and walking in deception. And it's been a sin over a, a period of time. So it's very clear how uh, it's to be dealt with if a, if a pastor is, is caught in sin. We see the warning that goes with this in verse 21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing without partiality. Our tendency is to implement the good old boy system. So here's the favorite pastor and he's sinned. So let's put it under the rug and not hold him accountable. And God says the angels are watching, that he's watching and that this needs to be implemented without prejudice or without partiality. So there's no favorites. There's no, no exemptions here. And, and even if it is a well-loved pastor or a favorite pastor, that it's to be dealt in this way for the health of the body. Verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. This is laying on hands for the position of being a pastor or elder. Don't do this too quickly because we've just seen the price tag of responsibility that comes, comes with it. And then verse 23, and we end with this, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So we get exposed to Timothy's physical weakness. Apparently he's having a lot of stomach problems and frequent infirmities. So Paul's saying, you're only drinking water, try wine occasionally to help your stomach. So Timothy's young, he's fearful, and he's sick all the time. Doesn't feel good. So he's a guy we can relate to. We tend to think that God only uses these superheroes in scripture, but when we really study their lives, they're just like us. Maybe you're going, man, physically I'm kind of weak, physically I'm, I'm sick, I find myself easily afraid, timid, I'm too young, I'm too old, all these different factors, and God's using Timothy, and he desires to use our lives as well. Verse 24 and 25, as he has been talking about this area of correction in the life of the pastor, he says, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. This is a really interesting verse. Saying some people sin, you see the fruit of it right away. And the consequences are right out in front of of everybody. But other people, it seems that they tend to get away with their sin. But not true. It'll follow them later. It'll follow them to judgment. Ultimately, you'll pay the price. Now or later, when it comes to sin and wickedness in our lives. But contrast this with good works in verse 25. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be seen. So, good works, man, they're clearly evident. They cannot be hidden. Watch the fruit of a person's life. There's a strong encouragement to walk with the Lord and to walk in good works. This chapter demands action to be a person of honor, for us to be a people of honor. Do you could, can you see how being a person of honor, being a congregation of honor would be an effective witness to those that don't know Christ as our Savior because there's such a lack of it in our culture. 
So we want to honor the family of God. Amen? Don't take for granted the family of God. Older as mothers and fathers. Younger as brothers and sisters. And we press into that and say, am I honoring God in the way that I treat brothers and sisters in Christ? We want to honor your own household. I hope tonight that one thing that hits you is you don't take your household for granted. No household's perfect. You can maybe find a lot of reasons why you feel like you don't need to engage in your household. But God says, engage in your household. I think it's important to decide these things now, to talk these things through with your spouse. Say, you know what? Let, let's commit to the Lord to care for our parents because it's honoring to God. Let, let's press in and, and see that we could be good providers for our own household because it's honoring to the Lord. You know, those that are single, that have a heart and desire to be married, for men to press in to be providers, and for you ladies to prepare to be managers of, of your household. God, God is honoring the, in this. We're honoring our own household. We're honoring widows. As a church family, we're looking within to, to see women in our church that don't have any family to care for them and to make sure that they're cared for. We want to honor elders. We want to honor spiritual leaders and be thankful for the, the sacrifice that they make, but at the same time, them holding them accountable to, to the biblical standard. This is a story that took place in September in 2013. There was a blind customer at a Dairy Queen, and they reached into their pocket to pay, and they dropped out a $20 bill. The person behind them took the $20 bill. They didn't see that they had dropped this $20 bill. They hadn't felt that they had dropped this, this $20 bill. This kid that was working at Dairy Queen, he saw it, and he said, hey, you need to, you need to give that person their $20 back. You need to give the, the blind customer their $20 back. And this person refused to do it. I said, no, I'm keeping the 20 bucks. What are you, you going to do about it? So this kid kicked them out of the Dairy Queen, the person that had stole the $20, reached in his pocket and gave the blind customer $20 of his own. See, that's a person of honor. That's a young man of honor. And that's what this stuff boils down to. It boils down to human interactions with believers and unbelievers, and we understand that people deserve respect. People deserve honor because God has created them. He's created them, and he has died for them. And then if they're older than us, they've walked longer on this planet and have experienced more, so they deserve, deserve our respect. And I'm convinced that we've lost this so far in our culture that as we simply endeavor to be a person of honor, it's going to give us opportunities to speak the name of Jesus. Amen? You know, when you see an older person struggling in the parking lot and you help them, that is honoring to the Lord. You know, when you, when you open up the door for someone and speak a kind word to them, that's honoring to the Lord. When we endeavor to do our families differently and say, I'm not going to kick mom and dad to the curb. I'm going to be there, be there for them. That's honoring. That's being a, a person of honor. And that causes your friends and your neighbors to go, why in the world would you do that? And hopefully they realize it's because of Jesus Christ, because the church is the ground and the pillar of truth. And it's lived out in the way that we treat each other in being a person of honor. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray this in.
Father, the things that we've read in your word are not necessarily easy, but we want to line ourselves up with your word. And we want to be a person of honor because we want your name to be glorified. We want your truth to be known. We want people to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So God, would you strengthen us to be able to apply these things? Lord, I do pray just over the financial provision of families. God, we want to work and we want to work hard and we just pray you would bless the the work of our hands and you provide for families. I pray for families tonight that, that are at that place where finances are difficult and they're wondering how they're going to get through the month. Lord, would you provide for them? Lord, by your grace, would you provide in such a way that we could provide for our own families and be a blessing to others? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.